Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's as if someone out there is listening to this show. After leading the charge of the migrant crisis for the past week and a half, the government is finally starting to sound like the government that millions voted for last December. The government that said they were going to crack down on illegal immigration. The government that said if you come here without permission, you will be sent back from whence you came. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is now pledging to change the EU laws that allow illegal migrants to claim asylum in this country and stay for years and years, just like we told him to do. Immigration Minister Chris Philp has headed over to France today to demand that the French do more to stop the migrant dinghies from setting off just like we told him to do. Home Secretary Priti Patel went out on patrol yesterday in the English Channel to see for herself how bad the problem has got, just like we told her to. And 23 Conservative MPs have formed themselves into, wait for it, the Common Sense Group and are demanding the government to sort out the shambles of illegal immigration. We will speak to one of them, Lee Anderson, this morning. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, the heatwave continues to torture and torment us. Last night I was so hot, I went out and sat in the car with the air conditioning on at 2 o'clock in the morning. How are you getting through the steaming hot nights? Let us know what your tips are for staying cool and we can pass them on to everybody else. Also, we'll be asking the test and trace busybodies just how they plan to pop round to check on everyone that isn't answering their phones. How's that going to work exactly? And we'll be asking why Rachel Riley is getting victimised on social media once again, supposedly for being racist. I think I know what's going on, though. 0344 499 1000. As ever, we want to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what are you being told? You are the eyes and ears of the independent republic, so tell us what you are thinking. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, you might be forgiven for thinking that suddenly the migrant crisis, even being covered from Dover on Channel 4 News last night, uh, has got to the front and to the centre uh, of the political agenda of this country. Quite right. So it should. Uh, it should have been there for a lot longer uh, than it has been. It should have been there front and centre uh, before it took Nigel Farage to actually get everybody excited uh, about it to cover what exactly is going on. I'm delighted to say we're joined today by Lee Anderson, Conservative MP for Ashfield, who is one of 23 MPs who has signed a letter uh, in which they have uh, asked the government to get themselves sorted out uh, on this issue of illegal immigration uh, because enough is enough. And people have realised in this country that you need to uh, react to what your constituents are saying. Lee, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Tell us a little bit about the group of uh, 23. I love the name, by the way, the Common Sense Group, you know, because we are the home of Common Sense here at Talk Radio. Um, so I'm delighted to see that we've got some fellow travellers with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Common Sense Group is, is made up of like-minded Conservative MPs where immigration, illegal immigration, is right at the very top of their agenda. And I'm pleased to say that uh, my colleagues and myself and Sir John are making good progress on this. We're getting lots of support, not only in, uh, in Parliament, but across the whole country. So my inbox is full of people who are saying, well done. It's about time we have some common sense. Yes, absolutely right. And, I mean, it's good that the government's now finally looking at the things that we've been talking about for ages. You know, change the EU laws, uh, if that's the ones that are making us have to suffer in the way that we are. Make it impossible for these people to come here by dinghy uh, and get the French to do a lot more. Well, let's have a, a dose of honesty uh, for once on this subject, Mike. The vast majority of these people crossing the Channel are not genuine asylum seekers but they are illegal immigrants who have paid good money to people traffickers. And the sooner we start calling them illegal immigrants, then the sooner we can get this problem sorted. For example, do you have to pass through, I think it's seven safe countries to get here yeah. from Syria. And let me tell you, the people in Ashfield are absolutely furious about this, as are the silent majority all over the UK. Yes. They should not be allowed 
to claim asylum here if they refuse to claim asylum in other safe countries they are passed through. Exactly right. And we have this ridiculous kind of EU rule which is hanging around, which since we are no longer in it, surely we should be able to ditch, shouldn't we? Well, exactly right. I mean, what I want to know, Mike, is who are these people that are coming here? Um, Do we know their backgrounds? No, we don't. Have they been criminals in their own country? We don't know. Have they been involved in terrorism in their own countries? We do not know. We do not know what their intentions are once they get here. And they must be returned immediately, or at the very least be detained until they can be deported. And they should not be put in hotels. Well, we should not be spending billions and billions of pounds. I mean, I took great exception when I discovered, thanks to Nigel Farage, that Serco, uh, one of the big companies doing it, uh, one of three, I should say, uh, is, is into uh, the government and public government funding to some to the tune of about sort of, you know, two billion quid to four billion quid over the course of 10 years, which not only tells you that, one, there's a gravy train going on, but also, two, that they're hoping and praying that this goes on for another 10 years. Well, that's a lot of money, Mike, isn't it? And one thing about the illegal crossings, it's certainly been good, certainly been good for the, the tourism industry. Yeah. Uh, hotels have packed, uh, making lots and lots of money. And you're quite right, uh, out of the misery and suffering of people, and let's not forget some of these people uh, you know, are suffering, out of their suffering, there are companies uh, in this country and organisations like Circle making lots and lots of money. And that is abhorrent, really, in my opinion, and it needs to stop. Exactly right. And there are two other companies who we have approached uh, since last week to ask them what their involvement is, and they're refusing to answer us. Now, in my view, these are people who are taking public funding. uh, They are making private profit off of taxpayers, but yet they're refusing to cooperate uh, with investigations by us into what exactly they're doing and how much money they're costing us. Oh, yeah, the costing is an absolute fortune, and this needs looking into. But what I want to know, Mark, is why is France so bad that people will risk their lives to leave. In fact, what is so bad all over Europe that mm. these people pass through these safe countries and risk their lives to get to the UK? And another question I want to answer is why, why is France allowing pregnant women and children to board boats on the Channel yeah. and risk losing their lives? They're not doing enough. Mm. You're absolutely right. And also, what we don't know about these people is whether any of them have got the COVID-19 virus. They don't seem to be being tested, as far as I can tell. Well, uh, I don't know the ins and outs of that, Mike, but, you know, I, I've referred to my previous point. When, when illegal immigrants land on these shores, we sh- they should be detained. We don't know who they are, where they've come from, uh, and what their intentions are. So um, I would quite welcome um, some sort of detainment where we can look at their asylum claim. If they're successful, by all means, that's OK. If not, then they should go back. Yes. Um, and the sooner the better. Now, your letter is addressed to Priti Patel. Uh, it says you're grateful for the positive dialogue that has been established already. Um, you've had, obviously, some private meetings with the Home Secretary. What can you tell us about that? Well, what I tell you, Mike, is where this problem is of our own making, really. We are a tolerant and welcoming and law-abiding nation, and that is one of our major strengths. But on this occasion, our major strength has become a weakness, and this has been exploited by illegal immigrants and the gangs um, they're charging thousands and thousands of pounds to get us in. I tell you, the pretty is absolutely furious about this, and she's doing all she can. But she, she's pretty much hamstringed by these international laws, asylum laws, mm. uh, uh, the uh, the maritime laws, which involves picking up people in the channel. So, but you know, we've got to give her all the support we can as backbench MPs to make sure we stop this happening in the future. Well, because I think the risk to the Tory party, and I say this as somebody who has been a great supporter of this government. You know, uh, it's very dangerous territory to get into because more and more people that I know who are listening to this show, they're writing to their MPs, they're asking to get information to say, can you please tell us whether there are any illegal immigrants being housed in my constituency that you uh, know of that we are paying for? And there's an awful lot of MPs who are not answering those letters. And I'm really delighted that you're able to come on here and, and sort of set the record straightly because this is a dangerous thing for the Tory party and the Tory government if they don't sort this out. Um, absolutely, Mike. You know, um, I get stopped in the street now uh, and that's, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? Uh, I have to tell them, I'm doing my best as, a, as, a, uh, as the MP for Ashfield and MPs up and down the country are, are getting behind us, getting behind the common sense group. But I would urge people, yeah, contact your MPs. Don't run on Facebook or social media or Twitter. Get in touch with your MP. Ring their office. Give them a tough time. Mm. Write in and make us earn our money. 
because at the moment, I think some of us are letting you down. So get in touch with us and badger us till we get this sorted. As far as you understand it, I mean, we don't know the numbers specifically. Nigel Farage said he thinks there's about 48,000 um, illegal immigrants being housed around the country in hotels. That number sounds about right to us. Serco say that they're in charge of about 20,000. But I mean, over the course of the last few years, we could be talking hundreds of thousands, couldn't we? Well, we, we could. I mean, we, we don't know the figures, do we? And that, that's quite shocking, actually. And, you know, um, this this recent episode of the, of the crossings has actually highlighted it even more. Mm. And we do really need to get this sorted. You know, we, we got elected on a, a ticket of, of being strong on immigration, protecting our borders, taking back control, all these things that resonated with some of some of our, some of our first time voters, actually. Uh, they went from Labour to Conservative. And we must deliver on this. We must sort this out. This is so important. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And so as far as uh, to, uh, sort of this week's actions are concerned, as I said, we've got um, uh, Chris Schilp going over to uh, to France to talk to the French. Uh, we've got Priti Patel out looking uh, on the English Channel yesterday to see how things were going. I believe there was a plane patrolling over, uh, an Atlas plane patrolling over the channel as well. It does feel as though something is changing. Yeah, it is changing. Uh, and like I say, we are sometimes a country that is too tolerant, too welcoming, too law-abiding sometimes. We always try and do the right thing. But I've got uh, a, I've got some solutions um, in that France really needs to stop these boats leaving the French shores, shores in the first place. Mm. When these boats are picked up in the channel, they should be returned immediately back to France. Yeah. And you know, these traffickers, you know, if I had my way, these traffickers would be locked up for life. Yeah. Not only are they promoting illegal activity, they're risking people's lives. Uh, they're creating social problems and division in our country. And actually, they're supplying more victims for modern day slavery. Yeah. This is a disgusting and vile trade and they need locking up. And I agree with you completely, 100 percent. But what do you say to people uh, like Gary Lineker, those people who like to virtue signal on social media, talking about how we should be a welcoming country and that the people who don't want to see these desperate people coming here uh, should be ashamed of themselves? What do you say to him? Well, I've got some good news for Gary Lineker this morning. Um, if he wants to email me, his full name, address, postcode, and details of the accommodation that he currently resides on, I will make sure that's available for the next boat of illegal immigrants to come and live in. Bed yeah. and breakfast, of course. Oh, of course, that would be wonderful. I'm sure he'd be delighted uh, to host those uh, people, Lee. But this is the ridiculous nature of these kind of people, isn't it? You know, they wouldn't want the, anywhere near uh, a, 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 a camp of any kind. They wouldn't want any hotels nearby uh, to be renting rooms out uh, to Serco so that they could house illegal immigrants in there. You know, they just say these things because it makes them think that people will think well of them. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the liberal left again, Mike, virtue signalling, trying to say all the right things, trying to tweet tweet out the right messages on social media to look popular. But I tell you what, it's not popular because the silent majority in this country are right behind the common sense group. Yes, absolutely right. Lee, listen, you are make, making the Tory party popular again just by the way you're speaking. But, you know, can you have a word with some of those guys in Downing Street who seems to have forgotten that the people who elected you want to hear your sorts of uh, conservatism more than they want to hear uh, this kind of watered-down version? Well, the one thing I have learned since being an MP, Mark, is things... Because um, I've also been a councillor as well. Things happen very, very slow in government. Mm. It's very frustrating. But I'm sure my colleagues will get this sorted. I know Pritchie's working damn hard to get this sorted. And I'm, I'm right behind her and the Common Sense Group are. We're going to get it done. Great stuff, Lee. Thank you very much indeed. That's Lee Anderson, Conservative MP for Ashfield. I think restoring faith in uh, all of us about what this Tory government is all about, about what this Tory party is all about, because Lee Anderson as you've just heard, talks the talk um, and he walks the walk as well. It's the Common Sense Group. We are the Common Sense radio station. In fact, we are the home of Common Sense right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're going to take some calls very shortly. 0344-499-1000 is the number. A couple of things to mention, though, before we do that. Uh, Serco, uh, as I said to you, is one of three companies who are currently looking after asylum seekers in this country. The other two uh, are Ready Homes uh, and another company called the Mears Group. We'll come on to them uh, in a moment. But before we get on to that, something else uh, I noticed this morning I just wanted to have a word about, and that is, of course, Rachel Riley. You might know uh, who Rachel Riley is. She's on television quite a lot. 
lot. Uh, she's also the subject of an awful lot of anti-Semitic tropes, anti-Semitic insults, anti-Semitic trolling uh, on social media. She got involved in a conversation last night because Manchester United got through to the last four of the Europa League. Now, Manchester United is a football club which is supported by many people, lots of whom do not live anywhere near Manchester. That is very well known. Now, she puts out um, a tweet about Manchester United, which was vaguely amusing, um, but she gets answered uh, by somebody called Supriyo Banerjee in India, uh, who basically says, no, every Man United fan is like that plastic glory hunter. Basically having a go saying, you're a plastic glory hunter, you support Man United because they win on everything. Well, to be honest, they haven't won much for quite a long time. So uh, to say that would be entirely incorrect. But there we are. Uh, So it's not much good being a glory hunter if your team doesn't win anything. It doesn't really work. She puts out, on top of that, says an Arsenal fan in India, which is pretty obvious as a statement about somebody who's trying to claim that you're a glory hunter because you don't live in Manchester. This guy claims to be an Arsenal fan. He lives in India, which whichever way you look at it, it's quite a long way uh, from the North London Stadium that Arsenal play in, right? She now has been the subject of all sorts of ghastly, horrendous, vile tweets from people who claim that she is a racist, saying that she has somehow uh, betrayed uh, this bloke in India, told him off because he's in India. It's got nothing to do with that. She even has explained for the willfully obtuse, this is one of her tweets from a little while ago, it might be considered ironic for someone supporting a club halfway around the world to call someone else a plastic glory hunter. End of. But here's the thing that I find interesting. The people who are giving her the most grief, almost all are socialists. Almost all of them are left wing. Almost all of them are supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. And almost all of them identify themselves as such. Now, call me old fashioned, but I don't have to be Inspector Clouseau to work out the connection between the people who claim to be Corbyn supporters, who claim to sort out the left from the right, who support the Palestinian cause, who have been anti-Semitic in the past and who are now calling Rachel Riley, who has previously been the subject of anti-Semitism, a racist. It really is quite pathetic, isn't it? Get over yourselves. Stop abusing this woman. She made a joke about a football team. That's it. Okay? Thanks very much. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it was only about two or three days ago that the cycling uh, madman, uh, who generally sort of troll me almost constantly, actually stopped trolling me for a while. Uh, I dare say they're going to start again now because I'm about to talk uh, to Nick Freeman, criminal defence lawyer, of course, author, commentator, uh, sometimes known as Mr Loophole. He was on TV the other day uh, and got into a bit of a discussion um, about uh, about cycling with somebody from Cycling UK, uh, who's a bloke called Duncan Dollymore, uh, the organisation's head of policy. I'm going to ask Nick now precisely why he was quite so taken in the back. Nick, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. Now, uh, far be it from me to advise you on which programmes to go, but obviously, you know, this is the place where common sense is spoken, so you shouldn't be at all surprised if you go on Good Morning Britain and get met by some somebody who doesn't make any sense. Well, well, he, he, Mr. Donimore is a senior man with Cycling UK, and he, he was, we were basically talking about going through red, red traffic lights for cyclists. Yes. And he just took the view that really... Um, it was it was fairly trivial. It was an inconvenience. It was an annoyance. Amazing. Um, which I was, which I was totally shocked about because Mr. Donimore used to be a lawyer, right. uh, and he would know that actually it, it's a criminal offence. It's as simple as that. And, yeah. uh, it, it's very misleading and inaccurate to suggest to the public, well, look, it, you know, you can do it, and it's a bit annoying. And that that was the inference given. I don't know whether that was his intention or not, but that that was the message that was being conveyed, and that's why I sort of jumped down his throat a bit and yes. said, look, you know, this is illegal. And, you know, if a motorist does it, it's three points. And the whole point is, well, if in cars we go through red lights, we have a registration number, they know who it is, and we, we get prosecuted for it. If you're a cyclist, it's an offence. We're being told it's an annoyance, not really an offence, although we did concede it was an offence. Yes. We don't know who it is, and there isn't a point system in any event. Um, so, you know, where is the deterrent? Yeah, exactly right. Well, I mean, these are, the, these are the arguments that go round and round and round, particularly on social yeah. media, whenever you get the cyclists into a debate, because all they ever say uh, is, oh, cars kill far more people than cyclists do. Well, that's hardly the point. That's like saying, you know, guns kill more people than knives do, but it doesn't mean that knives shouldn't be banned as well. There seems to be a great reluctance by cyclists, and not all of them, some are very responsible, but there seems to be overall a great reluctance and unwillingness to engage in a sensible discussion. They're yeah. vitriolic, 
They're very hostile, and um, they don't want to accept any responsibility. And I feel that's the reluctance for wanting to have a tabard with a registration yes. plate on, which would show who is actually cycling at any one time. And I've said many times before, and I think you agree with me, Mike, unless we know who is cycling, the level of responsibility really doesn't exist because there's no accountability. No. And that, that's the root of the problem. And, you know, I'm not suggesting for one minute that all car drivers drive perfectly. Many don't a lot of the time. That doesn't make it right, but they will face the wrath of the law, and, and, and that's, that's right and fair. Yes, the exactly. They don't, they don't face the wrath of the law because it's ineffective. And the problem we have is we have the Road Traffic Act, which was specifically designed to deal with I say specifically, there are sections there that deal with cyclists, but what's the point in having a law, one that has no teeth, and then secondly is unenforceable? Not exactly Um, right. You don't know who it is. Um, So so that is the problem, and I think that it's inadequate to say, look, if you cycle dangerously, the maximum penalty is £2,500. If you drive dangerously, the chances are you're going to go to prison. Uh, If, God forbid, you happen to cycle and kill somebody, we're looking at the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act that deals with wanton and furious cycling with a maximum sentence of two years. Mm. You know, if you kill someone and you're... And that's if they can track you down, presumably. Of course, of course. But, you know, if you kill someone in a car, it's a 14-year maximum sentence, which the government are going to increase to a life sentence. So so there is a huge disparity, uh, and and it does need to be addressed. And can I say, I'm not anti-cyclist. I'm very pro-cyclist. There should be a proper infrastructure for them, but they do need to take account of what they're doing. They need to cycle responsibly, and we need to know who who you all are at any one time, including myself when I cycle. I'd obviously be very happy to comply yeah. with it as well. But this is why I always find it staggering when you get into conversations, and, and it sounds as though this guy Duncan Dollymore uh, typifies a lot of the cycling fraternity that I end up getting mixed up with. They don't accept at all that they should be in any way kind of identifiable. I don't understand why that would be. Why wouldn't you want to have uh, a safety-led uh, system where everybody is identifiable who is on the road on any kind of contraption, whether it's a bike, whether it's a bike bicycle, whether it's an electric scooter, whether it's a motorbike, whether it's a car, you know, everybody should be in the same place. And then when they come up with things like, oh, where are you going to put the number plate? Well, you identify the individual, don't you? You put it on their back or something. Exactly. You have a tabard that's that's actually to them. And like a car, which would go to a registered keeper, in my view, because it's a cycle and there isn't so much place, you you, you have a system whereby it actually goes directly to them. They have their name and Mm. their... um, address and contact details there. So, you know, they can be traced if they did something that was unlawful. Yeah. But um, th- this all came about by Mr. Dollimore simply suggesting that, you know, it was very trivial and inconvenient and slightly aggravating. Whereas, in fact, and this was from the lead person at uh, British Cycling UK, it- it's actually a criminal offence. And, yes. it, you know, sending out messages like that does, one, suggest that we're above the law and it doesn't really apply to us, and mm. two, it suggests an unwillingness to accept change. And yeah. We, we all need to change, you know. Um, there's been something like 1.3 million cyclists, cycles being sold during lockdown, yeah. which is fantastic for the nation's health. But it, it also militates in favour. Well, it's not fantastic for the nation's done. roads, I'm afraid, Nick. No, no, it's, it's, the problem is we're sharing very limited space. And, and, that's, and that's the other problem. You can't, you can't blame the cyclists for that. That's not their fault. That, you know, they well, it is their fault if they are willfully uh, ignoring traffic laws and if they are willfully going through red lights, willfully riding on the pavement, willfully riding in the road, despite the fact that they've got a cycling lane next to them, which is empty. All of those things are their fault. I agree with you, and those things need to be addressed in law. And, you know, if there's a cycle lane, it should be mandatory. You use it. You yeah. shouldn't have the luxury of saying, oh, I don't want that cycle lane that's cost however many million pounds. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the road. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. It's unlawful to cycle on the pavement. They know that. And, and it's the same. It doesn't stop them. No, it doesn't stop them. It doesn't stop them. It won't stop until the system is changed. And that there was a poll at the end of this programme. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name because it wouldn't be appropriate on your on your <laughs> excellent radio show. Thank you. Um, but 85% of the people who listened to the debate felt that there should be a penalty point system in place yeah. for cyclists. There is a massive hunger for a change in the law, uh, and yet the cycling lobby are incredibly reluctant to accept that they will have change and they will be yeah. accountable. I mean, and laughably... It is going to happen. Laughably, Nick, I, I've had uh, conversations with cyclists who said, well, we don't use the cycle lane because um, it's full of sort of rubbish, basically. It's full of nails, it's full of, you know, glass, it's full of, you know, sort of the detritus of, of road users, and so that's why they don't use them. Well, hang on, they've been campaigning for cycle lanes for years, right? Now they've got them, they don't want to use them. 
yeah, they need to be campaigning the government now. Now we've got them if they're not happy with them for for, for making them fit for purpose. Yeah, you know, like like road users do when we we have blowouts because we hit so many potholes. Yeah, you know that that you know nothing's perfect, and we we have to lobby our respective part. You know, if they've got cycle lanes, that's that's their domain, that's their territory. Let them deal with that. That's not the motorist problem. And you know, you know, condition of bikes needs to be addressed. The way they dress when they're cycling. Um, you know, what about proficiency? What about familiarity with the highway code? How can you let someone get onto a cycle without knowing what sort of condition it's in, whether or not you're familiar with the highway code, whether you have a clue mm. about the law, and just drive on the on cycle on the road? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Also, shouldn't there be some form of filter for cyclists? Because there are some parts of London where there are so many of them that it's actually dangerous. And I don't think just for pedestrians, but for the cyclists themselves as well. You know, when you see sort of, you know, 15 to 20 cyclists all amassing around the front uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a car, which is sitting at a red light, some of them are coming from behind and going through it. Some of them are passing the cars on the right. Some are passing on the left. Some are weaving between the cars. You know, I think they ought to impose some form of a limitation on how many cyclists are allowed on the road at any one, at any one time. That, that would be very difficult to enforce, wouldn't it? It's a good yeah. idea, though. Um, look, I mean, cars I, I, don't, don't do that. You know, of course, what we're going to get, the cyclists will say, oh, what about all the cars? Yeah, but cars sit in traffic, right? They sit one behind another because yeah. that's all they can do. I mean, if I had a car that could weave around inside the traffic and cut people yeah. up, that would be pretty dangerous. But that's what the cyclists well, do. Hence the arrival of the e-scooter, and that's what's going to happen. And, that, and that's going to make it even worse, isn't it? That's what's starting to happen, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same problem, but they are a bit more identifiable um, by, by the... By the current mechanism that exists, but um, are they? Yes, yeah, yes, they are. Because I think when, when they put their credit card in or whatever means they use to pay, um, there's some form of um, identification link that can be pursued. Yeah, but that that doesn't really assist. Um, you know, when when somebody sees an e-scooter and sees some bad e-scooting, um, well, who is it? That doesn't help there. You you right. you know, you you have a system at the end of the chain, but you don't actually have from an observation position. You don't know who it is. So, I mean, you you basically got to have eyes in the back of your head, haven't you? You have, and for motorists, it's very dangerous. Unfortunately, now you know with e-scooters and with cycles, you've got to be looking in your mirrors all the time, non-stop, non-stop. Um, and of course, you then have the problem: where where do you look? You've got to concentrate on front of the side, on both sides, and behind. And you, you've got to be incredibly alert, haven't you? Um, I mean, there's no law, for example, that prohibits a cyclist from um, using his mobile phone while cycling. No. Um, Many of them also have headphones on when they're when they're cycling, which means they can't hear any traffic around them either. Absolutely. Um, so this, I just don't understand why one of the government departments doesn't take hold of this and say, look, there's a real problem here. Let's get some people around a table and let's sort it yeah. out. They need it some serious regulation. That's what they need. Of course it does. It does. And, um, you know, I think eventually that there, there are many cyclists who actually accept that this needs to happen. But they don't seem to be the one. They, yeah. they, it's the it's the it's the the minority who are very resistant. I think there is a silent majority who accept that there should be some change. But it's the ones who cause the problems who are, of course, reluctant to accept it for reasons best known to them. Yes, indeed. Which we can speculate about. Right. Absolutely right. Well, listen, happy to help any time, Nick. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Nick Freeman, criminal defence lawyer, author, commentator, of course, as well. He's quite right. You know, the point is, if the head of UK Cycling or Cycling UK thinks that jumping a red light in a bike, on a bike is simply a bit of an irritation, it's not actually against the law, then that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about the mentality of the cycling fraternity, doesn't it? They think they can do what they like. They don't think the law applies to them. And they don't think they should be registered or regulated as if they're in some kind of bizarre kind of, you know, Wild West group of people for whom uh, society is not responsible and to whom they are responsible to no one. Unbelievable. Absolutely ridiculous. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to our good friend, Sir Carrie Cooper, uh, a man who I'm sure uh, is used to the heat, coming as he does from the United States of America. Uh, but over there, of course, they've got air conditioning. I don't know what it is about this country that they can't have air conditioning. On the bus, on the train, on the tubes, in shops, in pubs, in restaurants. I mean, some of them have got it, but hardly any of them have. Sir Carrie, what can you tell me? No, you're absolutely right. I come from L.A. and yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah, it, it, in cars, it's in restaurants, it's everywhere. Right. Every home has it. And given climate change, it looks like we're going to need it. Well, because you except, know, we except, the, like this, ex- except there's the, no question about it. Yeah, but except the climate change nutters, uh, Professor, will tell you that we can't have it because it will be bad for the climate. Well, 
I mean, we're going if if the weather goes like this and continues to go like this, Mike. Either we're not going to get any sleep at all, <laughs> or alternatively, what we're going to do is we're going to get, have to get air conditioning. I think you're get, you're getting it more and more in new homes, incidentally. Yeah. So I think it it'll it'll actually happen here. But you know, the the problem is it, it, typical British, isn't it? I mean, when it's cold and horrible, it's it's dreadful. Yeah. And when it's hot, it's dreadful. Right. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we accepted the fact that, you know, there are extremes in weather and everything else. It'd be nice, I guess, if we had 20 degrees centigrade, roughly that. Yeah. That would be lovely. Uh, but we seem to go from one extreme to the other. Yeah, I mean, certainly the the, 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 sort of the climate in California is certainly one that suited me when I was there, Southern California in particular. Uh, it was just beautiful. You know, the sun was shining. Uh, you walked around in a T-shirt. It wasn't like sweaty weather like this. Um, this was... No, it's dry. I think this is... It's because we get, you know, we, we have... Well, we have thunderstorms, aren't we? Today we had it. We're going to have it a bit tomorrow and everything else. And it's the cold and hot air hitting each other. So it, it really is a different kind of weather. It's... When you go to California, it's dry heat and Arizona and those states. Yeah, it's very, very dry. It's not humid. You know, it, it, it's like ten percent humidity. Whereas today, it's pretty humid. And that's lovely. Well. And that is lovely. Hot. I mean, I lived in New York for for about ten years, right? And I used to have to sometimes in the summertime change my shirt like three times a day because it was the days I when know. I was when I was a working reporter, and so I'd have to go to press conferences and things, and I'd have to I'd have to go back home after the morning press conference and put a new shirt on, go back out again. But at least over there, at least as you were walking around, the subway was beautifully cold on the train, um, or you could just pop into a, a department store and walk around for a while, and you'd get cool. But you can't do any of that here. Yeah, my family say to me, because given I'm from California, from L.A., I take a shower in the morning and I take a shower at night. It's yeah. natural. In fact, when I'm in L.A., it's usually three times a right. day, you know, maybe may in the middle of the day. I mean, I, did, I, I mean, have you no concern for the planet? I mean, what's wrong with you? You're wasting water, man. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> well, in California, if, funny enough, you can't do it three times a day in California anymore. <laughs> You can only have to cons- you have to conserve the water entirely. Well, but do you remember? Um, I think I did, did. Did Tom Selleck not get done for stealing water from somebody because there was a yeah, drought yeah. and he started but, to siphon off water from the next door neighbor or something? I mean, it's well, quite uh, remarkable. It, it, they, they take it really, really seriously. Like watering your lawns, you can't do it over certain periods of time. You have yeah. to do it at night. You can only do it for half an hour. Right. And sometimes you just put a total ban on it. Right. But you know, uh, we're just going to have to get used to this. Um, you know, volatile weather. It's yeah. Well, I, I think that's right. But as as Brits, we're not really psychologically trained for it. So this is why I wanted to talk to you about this, because, yeah. I mean, what's it doing to us as a nation psychologically? I work with, with a Spanish uh, woman called Marta, who you may know uh, and may have heard of. You know, she comes from a hot country. So for her, this is not such a big thing. But, you know, I don't come from a hot country and my ancestors are Scottish. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, I mean, that is a bit of a problem because number one, we don't have all the air conditioning stuff, so it's difficult. Right. And particularly now with people working substantially from home, Mike, that's the real problem, isn't it? Because many uh, workplaces did have some form of air conditioning, but we not, we're not going back to working in a central office environment substantially anymore. Right. We work probably substantially from home. So getting used to this, this is going to be the real problem, will this kind of weather, if the we- this kind of weather persists more and we're going to get hotter and hotter weather, mm. whether people will just have to, you know, will be going into a central office environment just to cool down. Right. Well, maybe we should uh, take but- a leaf out of India's book. I remember when I went first went to India, um, the palaces there, particularly around um, the, the sort of uh, around the New Delhi area, but where they sort of invented air conditioning um, in uh, in the Mughal times because they they managed to build these pal- amazing palaces with water running through them. But they also worked out the uh, if you if you dissected or diffracted the air somehow um, hexagonally through these little hexagonal kind of holes that the air would cool down. And so, actually, you go inside these places, and they're really cool. Yeah, it it definitely affects our behavior. It affects our. I mean, I'm a work psychologist, so I you know I look at the workplace, yeah. and it certainly will mean people will be you know less buoyant given this kind of yeah. weather and everything. By the way, there is a good tip that that Californians use. Okay, if they don't have air conditioning, what they do is they close all the curtains mm. all day long. And when you go into the house, then it's reasonably cool. Right. And, and a lot of them do that. That's why when you go into a home in L.A., you'll find it's 
pretty dark yeah. during the summer because people are trying to conserve on it, get rid of the, the sunshine. It's the sunshine coming through the windows, which really heats up the house. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have those old-fashioned, um, you know, shutters, wooden shutters that you, you can get yeah. in some parts of Europe and some parts of England as well. I lived in a house once in West Country uh, where they had those shutters, and it was really cool because you could block everything out. Similarly, in hotels they do as well, don't they? Yeah, you just have, we're just going to have to get used to the volatility in the weather. But at least, Mike, we won't have the complaints that, isn't it horrible this summer? It's raining. <laughs> it's this, it's so at least we got rid of the British, you know, oh, isn't it horrible living here? We have to go, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in Spain, Portugal, yeah. whatever. So now we've got this weather that's even warmer. My daughter's in Portugal at the moment. She says, what's the weather like, Dad? Right. I said, it's 36 in London. <laughs> Because you're kidding. It's only about 27 right. here. I know. So, hey, you know, maybe we're going to be the resort place. Well, maybe. But, of course, nobody's allowed to come here at the moment in case, in case no, they have to go to quarantine. Not. Isn't that the irony? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's the thing, you know. But, but that, but, but of course, within within probably about a week, I would dare say, Carrie, um, we'll be back to normal. And it will be moaning again because it'll be raining for four yeah. days straight yeah, or something yeah. like hey, that. listen, Mike will moan either way. So, yes. look at we, we could all moan. I've lived here. I'm a dual citizen. I've lived here a long time. We can moan for um, the, the Olympic Games. Yes. No question. Yeah, but I mean, is there, um, and I know this is quite a difficult question maybe to answer, but is there a sort of long-term uh, chance that we as a nation change? Because, you know, there's no question that if you go to Italy or Spain uh, or southern Mediterranean country, there's a very different attitude to, to, to the way that people operate. You know, it's very much more uh, laid back. It's very much more manana time, you know, and people, you know, move around in different ways. It's, it's a different culture, really. It, w it will affect our personality huh. as a nation. Not so much in that the manana stuff. I think it will affect us in the sense that we become more sociable. Uh -huh. Because I notice that, you know... During the winter, I rarely see my neighbors. Right. Right? We don't, you know, they don't come into the, they don't go out to the garden, everything else. If the weather starts to warm up mm. over the next decade or two or whatever, I think we'll find people being more sociable because they're going into the garden, they're interacting with their neighbors, they're taking walks, they're, they're doing the kinds of things we normally don't do, except probably from June till yeah. early September. Right. Although I dare say there'll be people listening to this in Scotland going, "What? Do, what, what do you mean? It's it's getting like the Mediterranean because it isn't. In, not in not in Scotland. It's not. It's still. I was looking at Edinburgh. It's still seventeen. Well, maybe what they're going to do is get us um, going on holidays there if the weather keeps at thirty-five degrees here. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah, so let's go so for cool weather. Yeah. So I mean, aside from um, uh, your tip about the curtains and all of that, what what do you? I mean, if you are in that situation where the house is just too hot. What, what, is there anything else you do? Well, I mean, the difficulty is you, nobody wants to go to a, a, a public swimming pool, do they? No. So that's a bit of a problem. Right. I mean, I think we, and, and we don't want them going in hordes to the beaches, so tell me what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I, don't well, know they, the, I, mean, I don't know. Listen, I'm a psychologist, but I don't know the answer to this when your options are quite limited. Yeah. No, I think just, I, I think it's about just keeping cool. Keep your house cool get out, uh, go for walks, you know, and go to different parts. I, I think people should go into Britain and go to different parts of the country. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, there are places, believe me, there are places up north here uh, which are cooler yes. than 30 Yes, no, I'm sure you're absolutely right. Professor Sir Carrie Cooper, thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It is that time, of course. We've been homeschooling ever since the lockdown began uh, after the news at 12.30 every single day uh, from Monday to Friday uh, because we believe that even though your children might actually be on holiday now, there are still things that they can learn and there is still stuff that they should be learning, whether it's academic or not, whether it's general knowledge or not, whether it's a new skill or not. I think a lot of people have found it very useful. And if you are homeschooling your kids, and even if you're still doing it or you've given up doing it, it's quite nice to get the children around the radio to listen to it. Uh, you can, of course, also uh, watch us on YouTube as well. We're going to talk now uh, to a man who's going to be very interesting indeed, Charlie Twillier, uh, who's the co-founder of Oppo Brothers Ice Cream. Because guess what? It's so hot. Uh, one of the few things that will cool you down uh, is having an ice cream, and he's going to teach us how to make it. Charlie, a very good afternoon to you. Hello, Mike. Good afternoon. How are Thanks you? Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Very Not good. Not at all. Now, I mean, ice cream is one of those mysterious things, isn't it? Because everybody loves it. Everybody eats an ice cream at some point or other in their lives. Um, I, I, really, I don't think I've ever met anyone that doesn't like ice cream. Um, but you don't really know how it's made, and there's all kinds of different types of ice cream as well. 
There is indeed. Ice cream is fascinating. It's a uh, if you look down the microscope of ice cream, it's a real chemical structure. Really. Um, I kind of liken it to, uh, to the Eiffel Tower. Hmm. Uh, if you all these these cross pieces and, and, and if you were to take one of those uh, pieces of each triangle essentially away, um, the whole structure would collapse uh, and, and fall apart. Hmm. Um, so ice cream is a, it's a really challenging product to make, actually. Uh, but at the same time, you can still make it at home. Um, so, yeah, very, very interesting. With Oppo, uh, it took me two and a half years to make the recipes. Uh, before we could launch, uh, so you can uh, it can be very very complex or very very easy. It depends what you're trying to achieve. Uh, but you're right. I'm pleased you think it's a fascinating product. Yes, uh, certainly it's great fun to eat it. Yes, it really is. So so when did you decide you wanted to launch your own ice cream company? Because it's quite a, a bespoke market, really. I mean, given that obviously there's the big names and the big mass marketed stuff, um, but in terms of like the smaller companies, you must have something kind of unique to get people to buy it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So my brother and I uh, went to Brazil um, in 2011, this was, and we broke the world record for the longest distance travelled by kite. Really? Uh, it was 1,000 kilometres travelled, yeah. Um, it was a bit of a stupid thing to do. Our <laughs> parents definitely tried to tell us, uh, but we didn't listen to them. It was uh, between leaving university and joining the real world of jobs, and we wanted to do something a bit crazy. Right. Um, and, and being, what, 21-something boys, we, we, we did that. Um, the only problem was uh, we ran out of food, so we uh, lost quite a bit of weight. I right. lost eight kilos in two weeks. Wow. And we were forced to eat um, whatever we could find. Um, and the locals showed us various foods we could find along the coastline. These tasted absolutely amazing, probably because we were so hungry, but mm. we ignore that. They tasted very good, um, and they were really, really good for us and kept us going. And that's what sparked the idea of, hang on, why can't we have the most indulgent foods good for us right why does the mars bar have to be bad for us right. uh, why can't the apple taste like chocolate cake you know and so we uh, that sparked we came back home uh, we got the record uh, to to try and create the most indulgent food and make it healthy uh, and, I, and i picked ice cream because um uh, arguably it is one of the most indulgent foods maybe other than alcohol which is quite hard to make healthy ah. so yeah can you make alcoholic like, can you make alcoholic ice cream i suppose would be the next question Indeed, indeed. And you can. You absolutely can. Um, so I'll, I'll talk through the process of how to make ice cream uh, in a second and people can have a crack at home. Um, but yeah, we, we, we launched in well, 2012. I quit my job to try and create um, a, a healthy, indulgent ice cream. Uh, took me two and a half years, government grants. And finally, we launched in 2014 into Waitrose, Cardo, Sainsbury's, Tesco, etc. Okay. And so what was the first flavor that you worked on? It was a really bad one. It didn't work. Um, there were over a thousand recipes that we tried. Right. The first flavor was mint chock swirl. Uh, and as I say, two and a half years later, it finally tasted fantastic. Uh, but boy, oh boy, my, my poor taster to begin with. What is bad, um, uh, what is bad be... uh, ice cream taste like then? Bad ice cream. We all would have had it, actually. It goes grainy. Uh -huh. It's like sandy, like a, like a child has picked a fistful of sand and right. thrown it in the tub. Uh, and it's just it, ice cream has to be super smooth, uh, super creamy. Uh, even if it's like Oppo, incredibly low calorie and incredibly low sugar, still got to taste amazing because mm. that's why we go to ice cream. Sure. So, so tell us roughly what you need to make it with, first of all. So to begin with, it's all about ingredients. Now, the process is the same if you're in, uh, if you're at home or if you're in a massive creamery like, uh, like some of the uh, ones that deliver supermarkets like Oppo. Um, you need. Uh, Ideally, if you're at home, a, an ice cream maker, which is just a cold bowl with mm. a paddle in it. Right. That's all it is. Um, in, in the creamery, we have massive steel tanks with thousands of litres. But then it all starts with the ingredients. The quality of ingredients is absolutely key because poor ingredients, as I learned over the two and a half years of making it, will lead to poor quality ice cream. So, for example, Oppo, it all starts about the milk. Mm. We have a dairy free range and a dairy range. So the dairy range... Uh, we use free-range milk from grass-fed cows, free to roam, only a few miles from our factory, uh, etc. The chocolate, um, we have a small plantation in Colombia that we believe has the best quality chocolate nice. we find from across the world. Um, and I tried a lot of chocolate and visited a lot of plantations. Um, the, the perks of the job. Um, and we can guarantee sustainability and transparency, etc. and interrogate the entire supply chain with these farmers mm. from seed to final product. So it's all about the ingredients to start with. Um, and then once you have your ingredients, and primarily for the base, that should just be milk, cream, 
Um, and we, Oppo, we don't use sugar or eggs, but, but you can at home, of course. Um, combine those base ingredients into a very large fat. And as I say, ice cream is very simple. Cream, milk, uh, eggs, and sugar. That will, that will give you your typical base uh, if you're creating a full fat, full sugar mm. variant, um, like Haagen-Dazs, let's say. Right. And what sort of proportions of, of each? Um, it depends. You can go uh, on how calorific, essentially, you want your ice cream. Uh, you could do up to 20% milk, uh, sorry, 20% cream, 30% cream, huh. um, about 10% sugar, and the rest could be milk right. uh, with, a, with a couple of egg yolks. Um, but it, it really it totally depends on, on, you know, play around. You can it, it changes vastly between brand and between recipe. At Oppo, um, we have around 65% um, fresh whole milk, uh, and then the rest we use rather clever ingredients that I can talk about later to make it indulgent but but low calorie okay and so and you, you just are you just blending it with by hand at this point at this point just blend it by hand um heat it up um is, is the next stage and you want to pasteurize it to make sure it's safe um then you homogenize uh, which is uh you could do it at home with a whisk we do it with clever pressure pumps uh, and that ensures proper mixing of ingredients uh, to make very very smooth ice cream which as we discussed to begin with is, mm. is really important and then what we do at Oppo is we let the ice cream age, um, almost like a, like a fine wine. We yeah. let it age for between 18 to 24 hours. So not very long. You can do this in your fridge overnight uh, at home. And that really builds the flavor. Uh, it matures it a little more. It, it, it uh, marries all the flavors together. Um, and we also, at this point, add uh, various flavor ingredients. So for example, Oppo doesn't use sugar, as we said. Therefore, when making our salted caramel ice cream, um, we don't use caramelized sugar at all. It's not what we do. Therefore, and this is a bit of a trade secret, but I don't mind telling you uh, and all of you at home today, uh, we use lacuma fruit. Um, it's crazy, this fruit. Mm. It tastes between caramel and maple. It's a fruit that tastes of caramel. So it, it's from Peru. So we, we dry this fruit, we mill it into a powder, and we steep it in the ice cream uh, like a tea bag for 18 to 24 hours. Right. And that seeps out this lovely caramel flavor and chocolate product. Um, and... For us, our caramel ice cream really tastes of caramel. It's got two great taste awards. Wow. Um, so and that's the, one so of the, the ways... The, can... the first sort of bowl of ice cream that you made just then with the milk and mm -hmm. the sugar and, and, and the cream, um, that was basically just... Would you call, you wouldn't call that vanilla ice cream. you just call it like white ice cream. Yeah, it's your base. Yeah. We'd call it base. And right. Everything can originate from that base. Okay. Uh, and then you add the flavour ingredients, uh, like vanilla, as you say, uh, or like chocolate, cocoa, um, or, or sort of, in this case, salted caramel. Um, and you age it, as I say, for overnight in the fridge would be fine. Right. The, I mean, and the then, way you're describing it, Charlie, it sounds quite hard to mess up, to be honest. I can't imagine how you manage it. <laughs> it's, if you're making simple ice cream, it's really easy. Yeah. Anyone can do it at home. Right. Great fun with the children as well. Yeah. And they can taste what they make at the end. If you're making it difficult, which you definitely can, um, then, then it can indeed take you quite a long time right. to make it. Okay. Oppo is, I mean... It's quite hard to make it. Um, a tub of ice cream for us is about 350 calories, mm. yet yeah, has four great taste award gold stars. Uh, ben and Jerry's, Hagen Dars, they can have way over a thousand calories per tub. Right. So that's when it gets complex when you're trying to make it taste like Hagen Dars, yes. but natural and lower calorie. Right. I got you. Now we haven't got a great deal of time. So tell us um, mm. what, if you wanted to put chocolate into into that mix. Mm -hmm. uh, make chocolate ice cream would you would you use melted chocolate would you use you know kind of uh chocolate powder How, what would you do you can go crazy and you can do whatever you like that's the wonderful thing of ice cream so we would use a combination of both so we uh we had cocoa powder um but not very much of that only about two percent three percent because it can be very dry otherwise yeah. and then yeah we we melt chocolate in there we melt cocoa mass uh, so raw chocolate in there um but this is where you can where you can really have loads of fun. So the next stage after aging is freezing it down over, uh, and it can take depending on your freezer however long. Mm. Ours only takes about ten minutes because we use a, a very powerful freezer, and that's when the fun starts. Um, at Oppo, we use inclusions in every single tub, like Ben and Jerry's. So cookies, pecan pralines, hazelnut, chocolate swirls, shortbread chunks, whatever you want. So you've got this soft ice cream, and you can mix in just with a with a spoon anything you like. Um, and make your, your favorite, your ideal ice cream. Um, we have giant paddles that mix these chunks in, but a wooden spoon at home will be, do, will be just fine. And then put it in a freezer overnight. 
or even better, eat it immediately. Because wow. that's when it tastes best. When it Sounds soft. terrific. Well, listen, um, well, I'll finish up with your favourite flavour, because this is your opportunity <laughs> to tell us what your favourite ice cream is. My favourite ice cream is our um, caramel chocolate crunch, which is a um, essentially millionaire shortbread ice cream. So we have salted nice. caramel ice cream with a chocolate swirl whisked throughout and uh, shortbread pieces uh, thrown in for good measure. That's my favourite at the moment, but it changes each day. Yeah, of course. Well, listen, I'm going to go find some Oppo Brothers ice creams. It sounds great. Charlie, thank you very much indeed. Charlie Twillier there from Oppo Brothers. Sounds easy to make, doesn't it? I mean, if you've got your kids with you now, I think you might as well just make some ice cream. You know, what better thing, what better way to cool down on such a hot day? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.